This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. I am Mike White, and you can find me at I am Mike White on Twitter. Okay, guys, I've got a level with you, listeners. Um, it's just me today. It's just me, Matt. Um, what I'm doing is I'm releasing a B-roll episode of the podcast, um, which is just some of the recordings that we've recorded throughout time. Um, and I'm going to just compile them into a makeshift episode since we can get together to record this week. So this is a B-roll episode of ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Okay, so basically what's going on is that Mike was a jerk and bought a house, so he and his wife are busy settling in and moving in and all that, and they haven't gotten internet back and all that stuff. So what I'm doing is basically I gave gave the guys, gave the troops a week off, um, so now it's just me um, without them to keep me contained. So this should be a fun little experiment. Basically, I have several clips that I'm going to play um, so that you guys don't have to miss a week of our fabulous podcast. So without further ado, why don't we get why don't we get started on it? I think that'll that'll be fun. Let me actually find the folder. There we go. Um which one should I play first? You know, here's a clip from February, February third, twenty fourteen. It's uh a small tangent about propaganda in Lone Survivor. Uh, we kind of covered it a little bit, but this was kind of a spur of the moment thing um, in the middle of an episode that we that we recorded that actually ran kind of long. But here are my thoughts, or our thoughts, on uh, the propaganda in Lone Survivor. Mike, you mentioned that you you're not that interested in seeing Lone Survivor. Um, are you yeah. just not? Are you not really a big fan of war movies, or is it just? I am something? not. Okay, no, I'm not. Um, modern day war movies. Oh yeah. yeah, hoorah! Current army guys. It's just not my thing. Yeah. That's yeah. Okay. Uh, I have an anecdote about that movie. In my review, I mentioned that I, I didn't give it a positive review. I wasn't a fan of it um, as much as I wanted to be, but. In my review, I mentioned that it's like one of the big parts about it was that they they seem to go over they seem to go out of their way to cr- uh, to criminalize or, or make make the Taliban the the bad guys. Um, well, it is a w- war action movie well, in America, which is silly because who doesn't think Taliban and think, oh, well, maybe we should root for these guys. Yeah, I mean it's it's like it's it's just it's almost it's to the point where it's almost propaganda, and yeah. it's like why propag why 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 propagandize something that's already depicted as as we're, we know we know we're 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 clear on that guys, but yeah. it was funny because I was looking on Get Glue, which is now TV tag, but um one of one of the one of the check-ins and all that was just perfect because it was like this makes me hate the taliban even more <laughs> <laughs> even more yeah oh my god I'm like oh god 
America yeah. is so awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so. so awesome. Yep. Oh, what a great clip. Huh. So many memories. I totally listened to it. I'm not going to just put the clips in later um, when editing. You know. Good clip. Good clip. Before we move along, here's a promo for the Sounds Like an Earful podcast. Hi there, my name's Christopher. I live in a very small town in Canada, and life mostly confuses me. So I started a podcast where I call people and ask them really big questions. It's called Sounds Like an Earful. First time I've had a real person to talk to. <laughs> can you ask people if they have a list of things I can do to make a new friend? I feel wonderful right now. The only thing that's making me feel really good are the chemicals pumping through my body. So men don't whine? No, they just suck it up and they drink their whiskey and... Well, I do that. But you whine while you're drinking your whiskey. <laughs> you can find more of the show at soundslikeanearful.com. Or tweet us at sounds underscore earfuls. You're awesome. I okay. didn't like you at the first, but now I do. Bye. See y'all. Bye. Okay, bye. Bye, guys. Have fun. Pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you later, guys. So let's see. Now I'm all alone in my, in my studio here. This is weird. It's sad. I didn't even get yoga latte like I usually do. It just didn't feel right. Didn't feel right. So this next next clip is from March 4th. Um, Mike and I went on to kind of a small tangent, I guess, about, uh, prisoners and it's, it's about the ending of prisoners. So there is a slight chance of getting spoiled. So if you haven't seen prisoners and you don't want to get spoiled, go ahead and, you know, skip this section. You can check the timestamps and the show notes and everything, you know, the lyrics page of the MP3 file, all that, um, but yeah, we just we just had a little bit of a disagreement about prisoners, and then it turned into a very lively discussion about the ending and the ambiguous nature of the ending or the clarity clarity of the ending. We were a little split on that one. So here is our prisoners debate, and also check out the movie because the movie is really good. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, uh, what else have you guys been watching? Matt, let's talk about let's talk about the ending of Prisoners. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, Tiny, you've seen Prisoners. Yeah, you've yes. seen Prisoners. Yeah. yeah. So uh, if you if you haven't, you're probably just going to turn this podcast off for the next ten minutes. Yeah. <laughs> just uh, go into the show notes and go to the timestamps. I have it. I'll have it labeled to where you can avoid spoilers. Um, also, if you're listening to it on like an, an MP3 or like like um like your phone or something, check the lyrics section of it, and it should be on there for you. Yeah, um, starting starting now. right now. So, so prisoners, prisoners. The end of it, as we know, uh, if you have seen it, just a reminder. Um, Keller Dover, played by Hugh Jackman, is stuck in the in the little pit under the car at the end of the movie, and uh, and Detective Loki. I don't know that we get his first name. I don't think David? so either. I don't remember. Benjamin? I don't know. I don't Loki, know. Uh, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, and he's looking around, and they and they have a team, an excavation team, but they go away, and the and everything kind of turns off, and there's no sound, and he is kind of walking away, 
and then he thinks he hears something and turns around and then shakes his head and walks away and then hears a whistle and we hear the whistle mm-hmm. and then he and then he kind of looks and his eyes kind of light up and and then the screen goes black mm-hmm. see my memory of it and you have the full benefit of seeing it twice I did. I did. I saw it in theaters, and I just watched it on Saturday. Yeah, but the way that I saw it was that he he questioned whether, like, he kind of paused and kind of kind of was thinking, like, okay, it's nothing, or it, or he's kind of considering it, and it kind of went on just a little bit too long. It felt like Inception. It okay. felt like a thing where. Um, it's purposefully ambiguous. Yes, yes. I felt like it was completely ambiguous. Right. And my argument, and I and I text. We were talking about basically this conversation stems from I I talked about how big of a snub it was at the Oscars. And, yeah, and I agree how fully. It's, it's better than most of the movies that were nominated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he and you, Matt, said one of the things that rubbed you the wrong way was the the ambiguity of the ending and almost kind of the rip off of the Inception. Yeah, factor. I, and I and my argument was I don't think it's ambiguous at all. See, that's something I just can't get behind because if it wasn't left ambiguous, why didn't they just? Why did they go in that direction? Not so much that they would show him questioning whether he was hearing something and he would go for it, but why would they put him in that position in general? I mean, if they were if they weren't going to go for an ambiguous ending, why would they put an ending like that? If they didn't want us to question whether or not it was, uh, unless it, I, I've no, I, I don't know. Yeah, well, a couple reasons. Uh, for one, drama, and it's exciting and it's interesting to see that he is put where his daughter was put. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also kind of pays off the survivalist aspect of of him that he would continue to survive despite a bullet to the leg and a twisted ankle and a and being in this pit. I I think that he. That he maintains uh, his ability to blow a whistle is impressive, and I think that's something that is paid off early. Um, and I th- and I think it's just an interesting twist. Um, mm-hmm. But I also think that showing showing outright him get out is too happy an ending. Like we know that he's going to go to prison. We know that Keller's in trouble and it's, and it's not going to be happy and he's probably not going to see his daughter for at least a couple months. Uh, and I think that's fine. What's interesting about this conversation, Matt, <laughs> is that, uh, when I first saw the movie, I had the exact same reaction as you. Yeah. I was like, why didn't they show that? What the heck is that? I, and I, and I wasn't like, Oh, what was it? I was like, well, clearly he gets out, but why didn't they show it? What what I feel like they were going for with it was that they wanted uh, Loki. We wanted us. They wanted us to question whether Loki would do the same thing that um, what was the guy's name? Uh, Hugh Jackman's name? Keller Dover. Keller. Uh, they wanted they wanted us to see. They wanted us to question whether Loki would kind of do the same thing. Would he? Because I mean, what what Keller did was horrible, uh-huh. um, but they want kind of—I don't know—it's a stretch. It's a big stretch, because and it, it probably isn't the case at all. But the only thing that I could reconcile of that ending was that they wanted us to question whether Loki would do the same thing, the same kind of thing that Keller did. Would he pay? Would he make? Uh, would he punish Keller for what he did? Uh, and and 
put be kind of a his own vigilante, or would he save him as as someone who's done that, or, or as someone uh, under the authority with the authority of the law? Oh, so I don't I, know. I think that's a stretch. I know. I think, and, he, I think he saves him. And I, I feel like if they were intending to put that question in our minds, and even if they weren't, just the fact that that was in my mind is because I couldn't really understand why they would choose that ending. And if that is the ending that they were going for, I feel like that wasn't um, properly set up because we didn't see uh, Loki dealing with with uh, moral ambiguity the way that mm-hmm. Keller was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just feel like I just felt like it was. It was the one blemish of an otherwise, I mean, just incredible movie. Yeah. And I just felt like the ending was just off the mark enough for me to be irritated with it. <laughs> so would you like would you like it to have gone a little further and and seen him like dig him up? Hmm. Or what? I, you know, I'm I'm I've wondered this and I don't know how I would have ended the movie. If they I have it in my head this whole this whole dichotomy between Keller and Loki's Keller's going, going, doing his own thing, trying to, trying to find out on his own, going against, you know, the law pretty much. And while Loki's trying to find them with his own tactics and all that, if I remember correctly. And it's kind of this, this interesting kind of back and forth, I guess. And it's kind of clouding, like Keller's behavior is clouding Loki's investigation into what's actually happened. So I I don't know. I feel like maybe there could have been a scene where he finds him. And then, I mean, if they wanted an ambiguous ending or if they wanted something like that, they could have had a scene that's a back and forth between them that is left, left with us wondering, okay, is Loki actually going to save him? Or is he, or is he just, cause maybe they're talking out the morals of, of what's, what's happened. And I mean, obviously, it's obviously if that's the case, if they actually show him finding him, obviously he's going to save him because I, I assume he would save him because I mean he's a father, and I mean that's a yeah. really uh, a weak thing to do. But I mean, maybe if they would have ended it with, I don't know, I don't know, I I don't know, I I would be, I don't know how I would end it, but I feel like if they wanted, if they wanted us to know that he did save him, they would have showed something more concrete than that because i think that that was intentionally <laughs> ambiguous you you do think it was intentionally ambiguous yeah because I, I, and, and again i'm i'm gonna stick with i i think it's not i think it was a i think it was a moment of great tension and i think mm-hmm. it builds up and then you get the release before the screen goes black okay uh tiny, tiny what do you think? tiny what do you think uh i'm with mike i think it's oh okay i don't think it's that ambiguous it's Definitely not the same kind of ambiguity as Inception, right? Yeah. And um, maybe that just clouded my because it's it's played out fairly similar for for uh, for at least until the ending uh, until yeah. the last. Like, and I've moment. gone on I've gone on record as saying with Inception that even Chris Nolan doesn't know what happens at the end of Inception. Mm-hmm. That right. that is ambiguous to the point where it doesn't matter. And what's funny about that is that I I'm I've said many times that. Yeah, it to- it topples over. It's the real world. He's fine. And like I've said it with complete confidence that that was the yeah. <laughs> that was that 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 it wasn't ambiguous. So I think this is an interesting conversation. Yeah. Um and mm-hmm. I need to see prisoners again. I really do. Maybe my opinion will change as well and I'll I'll mention it whenever I do see it again. Please do. Uh, yeah, absolutely. 
because like I said, it was one of my favorite movies from last year. The two movies that I feel got snubbed uh, were were um, Prisoners and Out of the Furnace, which I thought was fantastic. Yeah. 2013, and we're now three months into 2014, so it's kind of silly to say this, was such a damn good year. So many movies I remember from this last year. Yeah. Uh, and Prisoners maybe best of all like 12 years a slave i will always remember and you'll always say man how about that movie but uh, like the next time i compile a list of my top favorite movies prisoners is going to be on there nice no doubt cool Hmm. yeah and that and that is confirmed after watching it on saturday nice Hmm. Hmm. yeah i need to see it again Yeah. yeah cool before we move on, here is a promo for the Nerds You're Looking For podcast. Hey guys, it's Pat and Tyler, and we are the co-hosts of the Nerds You're Looking For podcast. We're just two nerds that love talking about nerd stuff, whether it be comics, video games, movies, or TV shows. We start every episode off talking about what we're into. We talk about how we've become the nerds we are today. We go through our nerd news, all the breaking nerd news throughout the week. And we end each episode with a review or a top five of something in pop culture that we love. It is a bi-weekly podcast that posts every other Monday. You can find all of our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and our companion blog, thenerdspodcast.com. And we are the nerds you're looking for. Take it easy, guys. See ya. Uh, let's see. This next clip... You know what? This next clip is... A little tangent that we had about accents and impressions. Um, it was recorded in October, I think, of 2013. But it was a fun, it was a fun little tangent. So, and it didn't make the cut of the episode it, it, we recorded it for. So, so here you go. Actually, actually, it was part of our pre-show. Yeah, and I cut it, um, cut it out, and saved it. So here you go. Accents and impressions. I really would like to uh I really would like to be a voice actor on a on a cartoon. You could That'd do be it. awesome. I would like to be the voice of a cartoon character. That's that's like a that's like a dream of mine. Nice. You do voices very well. You do. Thank you. You really do. Thanks. Like, <laughs> it's a it's a point of pride. So thank it that's a compliment. Thank you. Mm-hmm. The uh the super fans part of the John Dugan episode, like, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> like it just killed. That's me. not even. I'm not even doing a thing. Like I'm, I'm doing an affectation on my voice now. That's actually how I talk. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it was so convincing. You have, I've noticed that you have just a, a very slight Chicago twang. Yeah, very. I've slight. noticed that yeah. too. Yeah, because my it's uh. It was it was neutralized. I mean, I've lived in Indiana for like fourteen years now, so mm-hmm. it's it's been neutralized since. But I used to. Yeah, my dad is from uh, northern Indiana, like right on the lake. It's like thirty miles from Chicago. That's where he's from, and mm-hmm. so like all of my family from up there, they it's, they're not. It's not a quite a Chicago twang, but it's really really close. Sure. And so I'm pretty familiar with it. Kind of that na- yeah. that nasally thing, kind of yeah. kind right. nasal. It's uh, yeah. it's really long A's. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've noticed that. Like when it's, you say it's Breaking really Bad. long short A's. Do what? I've noticed that when you like say Breaking Bad. Uh, I've noticed that kind of Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. Bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're not, nothing wrong with it or anything. Yeah, right? we're not teasing. It's yeah, just, whatever, yeah. guys. I love it, dude. I, seriously, I love regional accents. I think it's so. 
Like I, I sound yeah. like a douchebag, but seriously. No. Well, thank you. As opposed yeah. to me and Tiny with our <laughs> Indiana accents, with our non just, <laughs> or whatever. We don't have accents at all. Yeah, our nondescript so, yeah. accents. Not really. Indianapolis isn't so bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 not great around here. I'll tell you that much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Hoosier Hoosier drawl. Yeah. Uh huh. Sounds like a southern accent. Right. Washington. 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 Yeah. Car wash. Car wash. You say, <laughs> I said Washington, and it sounded more like Jodie Foster than <laughs> Mr. Lecter. <laughs> Mr. Lecter. It's cold. It's, it's very, it's very cold. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shit with yeah. voices. I can't do a voice at all. Mm-hmm. So, except yeah, for. Uh, <laughs> Just kidding. Well, thank you. <laughs> No, except for like I, I've been working on. Um, oh my god, what's his name? Buddy Garrity from Friday Night Lights. Yeah, um, you can do a decent Buddy Garrity. Yeah, it's like. Uh, <laughs> uh, hang on. The Dylan Panthers are going to state. <laughs> nice. And that's pretty much the only thing I can say. <laughs> the Panthers. <laughs> the Panthers. Yeah, he kind of adds an state. H to the end of his S's. The yeah, Panthers yeah. are going to state. <laughs> right. And yeah. my dad, my dad's older brother, lives in Milwaukee, and oh. his wife, uh, my aunt, obviously, is from like northern Wisconsin, and they all oh yeah, they're a bunch of cheeseheads. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they Up talk there like in Wisconsin. Uh, I can't do it. They talk like it's like it's like Canada light. <laughs> Can't, yeah, like it is, that that's exactly what it's like. Yeah, yes. like, like watch, well, don't you know? <laughs> watch the movie Fargo. They talk exactly. Yes, like yes, that. yes, exactly. Oh, I love oh, your yeah. arm. Exactly. Did all those bad things for a bunch of money. Jeez. <laughs> That's really good. Thank That's you. awesome. That's really good. Nice. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I love their like accent. Francis herself. Yeah. Yes. I do a pretty awesome Indiana accent, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Sorry we're not recognizing your talents, man. No, it's cool. I have no talent. <laughs> <laughs> Baloney. Uh, those guys are crazy. Am I right? You should follow them on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. You know, obsessive viewer. At Obsessive Tiny, at I am Mike White. Find us on Facebook, the Obsessive Viewer. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Um, so this next clip is a short one. It's Mike and I were waiting for Tiny to get ready um, to record, so we just talked a little bit about Bates Motel. It was just kind of a spur of the moment thing. We were talking like just talking as friends instead of as podcasters. So it was it was fun. So here you go. Mike and Matt on Bates Motel. Hey, dude. Hi, Mike. What's up? Not much. Can you hear me through the mic, or am I going through Skype, or blah, blah, blah? Uh, I can't exactly tell. I don't have headphones in yet. Oh, okay. I think I... Yeah, I'm fine. I'm I'm good. You sound all right. Sweet. I actually... Uh, I missed your text... Because ah. I, I was watching uh, Bates Motel. Oh, really? Yeah. Holy yeah. F- that was scary. Um, wow. Uh, like, did you just start it, or are you like we are? Up? We are halfway through episode six. Okay. You know. On obsessiveviewer.com, you can read episode by episode reviews of every episode. And I have been, actually. Have you, have you seriously? Yeah, I have. Oh, 
it. That's awesome. Every time an episode is is over, I I read your your post. That's awesome. What do, what do you think? Because I kind of uh, at a certain point in it, I was like, I'm fucking writing reviews for every goddamn episode. Yeah. <laughs> um. It's good. They're good. There was one where I could tell that you were like not in the mood for doing it. That day. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think with the second season I've gotten a little bit better with it. Yeah. Um yeah. But that first season was just kind of rough. And then I fucking went back and did it for Under the Dome, which I I don't even know if I want to fucking do it this season with that show cuz I don't even know if I want to watch that fucking show. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, but it's also like the highest rated show, summer show on TV last season. So I'm like, eh, might as well do it for the clicks. Yeah, might as well. Yeah. So do you like Bates Motel? I do. I actually like it quite a bit. Um, It's got to be interesting from your perspective. You you haven't seen the original Psycho, have you? Uh, No, but I've seen the remake. Right. The remake. So I... You know, I get the gist of it. Okay. There's some things like I wasn't I wasn't sure about Freddie Highmore. Um, yeah, um, it's interesting because I reading reading your uh, review on the hmm. first episode, you spoke very highly of him, and I was yeah. like, man, he's not that good. And you know what's funny? I don't remember if I mentioned this in the first review, or I think I circled back and circled back and did it. But there was just that exactly. one scene in that opening scene where he's like he's pounding on uh, Norma's the, the bathroom door, and then as soon as she opens the door, it's really quick. But it's like she's like, or, or she looks at him, and then he's like, "It's it's Dad, hurry." Yeah, and it's just I'm like it's like cringeworthy just the delivery of it. Um, um, I wonder if it's another instance of of me not being able to get into someone because of their their accent. Oh yeah, yeah, maybe. I I just think there's a little bit I can tell where he's where he's drawing some ins- inspiration from uh, uh, Anthony Perkins's performance. Yeah. So I can kind of I can respect it on that level, but I don't know. He's, he's good. Yeah, he's okay. He's gotten better. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I was just expecting the worst. Really when it started out. Yeah, I think I don't can remember. Have you have you seen um, uh, Finding Neverland? Uh, a long, long time ago. I kind of forgot. He was one of the kids in it, right? Yeah, he's he's Peter. Okay. Oh, nice. Yeah, that I haven't seen it. Fantastic in that movie. Nice. I own that yeah. movie, and I, I haven't seen it since since I bought it. Huh. Um, which was like when it came out. Like I have a used. Uh, I bought it used from Blockbuster. That's how long ago it was. Hmm. So, huh. I'm trying to remember what episode six of Base Motel is. That just turned out to a nice little bit of B-roll I can put in. Yeah. By the way. Hey, let me. I'm actually going to restart my computer. Ah, go nuts. Let me do that. I'll be right back. All right. All right. We're going to take a little break and uh, play a a promo for the D&D UI podcast. Here you go. Hey, do you like drinking? Love it. Do you like playing Dungeons and Dragons? Absolutely. Then there's a podcast for you. Really? DDUI.com. That's amazing. DDUI.com, a podcast and webcomic about drinking ourselves under the tabletop. 
All right, and moving right along, here is a clip from March 4th, same day as our prisoners thing. That was actually, I think that was part of our one of our extended potpourri episodes, maybe the first one, the one where we talked about, um, maybe not the first one, but the one where we talked about True Detective at length and also about um, How I Met Your Mother before the finale, uh, which, you know, I've actually been revisiting How I Met Your Mother, not... I've, it's been kind of my go-to thing, kind of turning it on whenever I'm bored or like eating dinner or something or getting ready to go to bed. And to be honest, I I don't know the the show still holds up well uh, despite the ending. I mean, the episodes themselves are are fine. Like I still love the episodes. It didn't retroactively destroy the series for me or anything like that. Some stuff kind of gets to me like I'm about to spoil the How I Met Your Mother finale in case you haven't watched it yet somewhat, so just be careful here. There's an entire episode where um or there's there's an episode in oh, crap, I can't remember what what season. But there's an episode where Marshall has a fantasy the only way Marshall can fantasize about other women is if he kills kills off um, Lily in a fantasy. So it's basically the entire... That scenario is basically telegraphing the entire trajectory of the, the series. And it's kind of... I don't know. It felt weird because it's like that should signal to them that it's not a good finale if their finale is used as humor as as com- comedy in an earlier episode i i just don't understand that i mean the episodes are still funny there's no you can't make something that's funny unfunny um that's very profound matt good job see i don't have the other guys to play to play off of i was gonna have my brother on if he wanted to be on but i don't think he would have wanted to I thought it would have been fun if I just introed all these clips and had my brother like, I don't know what a podcast is. So, so enough about what I wanted to do. Uh, this next clip is... Um, did I go on a tangent? Yeah, I think I did. Wow. Wow. That was a tangent. I guess I'm the problem with tangents. Anyway, so this clip is from March 4th. Um, it's my thoughts on The Wolf of Wall Street. Here you go. Matt versus the Wolf of Wall Street. I also watched Wolf of Wall Street. If we want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, uh, very good. What'd you think? Nice. Uh, it was all right. I'm uh, honestly, I'm, I feel like such a downer because I mean, I liked it. <laughs> I thought it was a fun movie. I thought it was a lot of fun, uh, and it was interesting, but. I just, I have, I think I have a problem with Scorsese. Scorsese. Um, really? What? I, yeah. I uh, do. I just, I mean, The Departed is, is the one movie of his that I, I like love, absolutely love. I, I mean, I've watched, that might be the only one of his, one of his only, one of the only movies of his that I've watched multiple times, actually. Yeah. Wow. Um, I, I don't know. There's something, Something about him, I'm not drawn to him the way that everyone is. And you, I mean, you've still never seen Raging Bull, have you? Uh, no. Oh man. <laughs> um, to, to, I got, I bought the special edition DVD yeah. of that like ten years ago. I don't know about that, but like 
probably a good six or seven years ago. Yep. And I gave my old copy to Matt, and well, he that, still never watched it. Yeah. <laughs> still on the shelf. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, this will be insulting to you. Well, half insulting, I'm sure. Well, maybe not insulting, but it's in close proximity to Lady in the Water. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, in terms of importance? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just on the shelf. It's like there's Lady in the Water, 25th Hour. Um I don't know why I own this, but Flight of the Phoenix. Oh. Um, no idea. That was a blind buy. And then Raging Bull and Apocalypse Now. Hmm. And also the original Godzilla or Gojira. Gojira. It's, um, but it's what it's uh, not being racist. That's that title. That is what it's called. Yes. Yeah. That just Wolf of Wall Street. Yes. Let's get back on topic. <laughs> used a lot of editing. It, yeah. it was really in. The editing that it had was kind of sloppy. Yeah. Um, and that's what kind of took me out of the movie uh, a lot. Um, there was a lot of like cuts, like just in conversational scenes, there was cuts between two characters that were really jarring and really took me out of the movie. Um, yeah, it didn't have a very fluid edit to it. Right. No. I agree. It was, it was, just... it was the, the episodes of Jordan Belfort, the adventures of yeah. Jordan Belfort. And it yeah. was it was interesting, um, but I don't know. It was just kind of. I did think that Jonah Hill was phenomenal. Um, yeah, he was. I thought that he did just a, an incredible job, especially the scene where we meet him. His yes. first scene is awesome. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. After that, it kind of kind of gets into more just normal behavior for him. But that first scene was just like I was like blown away. I was like, wow, yeah. he. Jonah Hill has some range. That's awesome. He, what is it gonna take for him to win a best supporting actor? Because timing. he keeps uh, it is timing. You're exactly yeah. right. And I was kind of setting up my point to say yeah. he he keeps doing great work in tough years. Yeah, like, I don't remember to whom he lost in 2000, I don't know, 2011, mm-hmm. but and Moneyball was fantastic. Mm-hmm. He was so the scene where they make the trades in yeah. Moneyball is one of my favorite scenes from that year and it's Jonah Hill, really. Nice. It's yeah. Sorkin, really. Yeah. Well, was, okay, you're right. Yeah. It is Sorkin. <laughs> yeah. It is Sorkin, but he plays it well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um I think to your point about about um just an issue you have with uh with Marty. Mm-hmm. I think he he has two different <laughs> kinds. You're like your buddy. <laughs> oh, he he is. Nice. Um he he has two very different kinds of films that he will make. He will do something I I think like um like Casino to an extent and I think uh Wolf of Wall Street um can't think of any other examples really but some of these movies he will it seems like he doesn't have necessarily an overall vision for a film. It's just he has these actors who are remarkable and he has a pretty darn good script and he just kinda lets his actors kinda develop it how he wants and he just kinda puts scenes together. I think that's kinda how some of his movies are. But then you get something like The Aviator, or you get something like Hugo or Taxi Driver. Those are just stories. Those have like like rigid structure to them and he has an overall vision for those films mm-hmm. and i feel like those movies that i that i just mentioned uh they don't necessarily feel like martin scorsese movies at all right um they're they're very different they have such a different tone to them um 
I, I feel like he makes two different kinds of movies, and I, I prefer I like both of them, um, but I prefer the ones like like Hugo and like The Aviator and and stuff like that. We might not have time to talk about this, but I hated Hugo. I saw him Hugo. Wow. Yeah, really? I hated it. Yeah. yeah, I didn't get it. Wow. I mean, if you guys want to record some B-roll of it. <laughs> <laughs> I Man. don't, because it also hasn't been, it's been a long time since I saw it. Yeah, same here. It wouldn't be a good discussion. Yeah. It got 11 nominations. It's so many. It's nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, it won yeah. five Oscars. I'm looking yeah. up, I'm looking up um, Best Supporting it, for... It lost to the other movie about movies that year, The Artist. Artist, yeah. Uh, yeah. Down year for movies that year. Yeah, it really was. That was the year, and I could be wrong. Was that the year hit hardest by the writer's strike in 08? No. That was, was uh, 2010? I think it was. No, that was the 84th, so it was 2012, 2011 movies. Right. Hugo was. I'm saying it was hit by the writer's strike in 08. In 08, when movies, good movies were being started. Okay. You know what I'm saying? When yeah. good movies were starting to be made in 2008 to come out in 2011, they were not because of the writer's strike. But it could have been 2010. Yeah, I feel like it might have been. That might be a little long. Three years? I don't know. I don't know. I really yeah, I don't, don't know. know. Hmm. Who knows? Yeah. Um. I probably would need to see it again to make a better assessment, but I don't think I'll ever see that movie again. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, the best supporting actor nominees for that year, um, besides Jonah Hill was, uh, Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh. Branagh. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> in my week with Marilyn, uh, mm-hmm. Nick Nolte in warrior. Oh yeah, he was good. And Max von Sydow in uh, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. And the winner was Christopher Plummer for Beginners. Oh, I never saw that. Yeah. and I would have given it to Christopher Plummer. Yeah, he was, he was my pick that year. That was the one with you and McGregor, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, his dad comes out as a gay man after like 50 years of marriage or something like that. Nice. Yeah. Um, it's a good movie. Nice. I was going to be a total ass when... You asked what uh, Jonah Hill needs to win Best Supporting Actor, win an Oscar, and I was going to say, play a guy with AIDS. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And that's it. Uh, Thank you for listening to the Obsessive Viewer Podcast. The last episode of the Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Uh, I'm not – I just said that just to be – just to – you have a point. <laughs> I do. I, I, right. I do, but I do think that Leto's performance and and McConaughey they both they both put in really good performances in a movie that I just wasn't that crazy about. You um, almost sounded like <laughs> resentful. They put in really good performances. Yeah, they really gave their all to a movie that I you know. They were the only two. That's yeah. that's. Uh yeah, Jared Leto was great. He was my pick. I think he totally deserved that Oscar. Yeah, he was great. Mm-hmm. I didn't recognize him. Um, yeah. at the beginning, no, at first, yeah. he's hot. I know. Yes. <laughs> um, no, uh, 
Yeah, and in, in my head, I kept thinking of um, uh, Walton Goggins and that crappy FX uh, show we don't talk about. <laughs> um, yeah. And that crap justified? No, no. I've never seen Justified, but I've heard really good things. I'm talking about that, uh, the white trash soap opera that pretends to be the shield. Oh. Sons uh, of Anarchy. Sons of Anarchy. Oh. Oh, yeah. okay. We don't need to say anything about that show. Yeah, we okay. don't. No. I won't. Okay. Please. Although, if I were to say, I'm kidding. Uh, I don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Oh, I just got a text message. You can open those doors if it stinks. Yeah, I'm in my brother's sunroom where we usually record, which my brother and his girlfriend have taken to convert our studio into a space for their kitten. Uh, so there's a little cage and litter box and stuff. So that'll be interesting when Tiny comes over the next time because uh, he's allergic to cats. To cats. Um yeah, so the text message says, you can open those doors if it stinks. There's no reason for me to say this. So I'll just go ahead and throw you into the next clip. This clip is actually a long one. We actually recorded it specifically for this type of episode. It's a it's a lengthy one. It's about half an hour. It's me and Mike discussing Star Wars. Now, I am not a big Star Wars fan, and he is a huge fan. And he was trying to tell me exactly why... He's a fan, and I was trying to explain why I wasn't that attached to it. It was recorded on January 30th, uh, shortly after my gallbladder surgery, actually. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, so here it is. Yes. I didn't hear any. You didn't hear? Oh, no. yeah, okay, I got you. Yeah. So you wanted to talk to me about Star Wars. I did. Here's the thing, Matt. Uh, you are f- one of, if not the most, uh, the person with whom I put the most faith in terms of movie recommendations. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. I, I trust you the most when it comes to movies. So when you tell me, or when we're talking about Star Wars and you say, eh, I was never <laughs> that into it. My response is always, defer. Right. It's... Yeah. <sighs> I've 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 thought about it a lot. Quite I hope a lot. you have. I, I really have because it's not like it's not like I'm uh it, it's not like I'm I'm against Star Wars. It's not like I think it's the worst movie ever or it's the worst franchise ever or anything. Far from right. it. I I think they're fun movies, fun adventure movies. But I mean when I I, I just can't I just can't really fathom the Un, the the religious fanaticism of it, yeah, of of its fandom. It's it's uh, it's pretty. I mean, it's 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 the most prolific. It's the most prolific film franchise of all time, right? Oh yeah, yeah, Definitely. by far. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um. So I and I just don't, I just don't get it. Like, <laughs> let me pose this question to you. I may have asked you this before, but sure. Boba Fett. Okay. That oh, is that is yeah. a great question. <laughs> listeners are like, he didn't even ask a question. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, to be honest, I don't understand the Boba Fett. Um, nice. And that, I think, really has gained popularity, I want to say, in the last 20 years. Really? Right? Hmm. And, uh, and, of course, 
Um, Return of the Jedi came out 31 years ago. It just kind of celebrated its 30-year anniversary. Um, And, of course, we saw Boba Fett in Empire Strikes Back. Actually, the first appearance of Boba Fett was in the holiday special, the Star Wars holiday special. Really? Yeah. uh, He's in an animated short, and uh, Luke is also in it voiced by mark hamill of course okay um and so yeah that's kind of the first glimpse we ever saw of boba fett uh which of course was released in 1978 so i don't think he was as popular then as he is now i i think that's a a fairly new thing Mm -hmm. um and i wonder if like the beefed up scenes of him in the 1997 re-releases are kind of the cause for that Okay. See, see, I've never seen the original, the original, original ones, the okay. theatrical cuts. But okay. from first, let let me ask you this. Um, sure. Two questions. <laughs> Hard hitting here. Yes. Go for the it. holiday special. Yeah. Now I know about it. I know that it's it's a feature length special, right? Yep. That involves Wookiees singing or something. <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, it's well, Wookie Singh. Yeah, that is the case. Okay, and um, <laughs> it's so bad. They're singing. It's a Chris. I mean, it came out during Christmas, so it's a holiday special. Yeah, but they're celebrating Life Day on Kashyyyk. Okay, okay, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and you meet uh, Chewbacca's family for the first time. His father Itchy <laughs> and his son Lumpy. Okay, <laughs> all right. Um. So where did this air? Where where was it on network TV or was it like this big thing? How how big was it when it came out and when did it come out? Because I it, like it I was kind of a big deal when it came out. It came out on November seventeenth, huh. back in seventy eight. Which my of sister's course, birthday. Oh wow! Huh. Yeah, which was uh, I guess a year about a year and a half after uh, Star Wars was released, and it came out on CBS and it was kind of a big deal, and. Uh, um, I, just like reading interviews and things, a lot of people didn't want to do it, in, including uh, and specifically Mark Hamill. Mm-hmm. He thought it was kind of a dumb idea, um, <laughs> but they just went ahead with it anyway. They were they were always big on expanding the story and all that. Um, it's so awful. It's so so <laughs> so bad. Okay. I really wish that I've that I'd never seen it. <laughs> yeah, because you you do, well okay. As a collector, though, you don't regret buying it, correct? No, no. As a collector, I love the yeah. fact that I have it. That's good. That's good. So, George um, Lucas, by the way, has said if I had the time and a sledgehammer, I would track down every copy of that show and smash it. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> That's actually great. on the front of the DVD that I have. Nice. Yeah. So, did he? How much input did he have on it? Because seventy-eight. That was that was. Wow, that was even, that was before Empire. Right, it was. Yeah, yeah it was. It was uh, uh, about a year, year and a half before Empire came out. Okay, mm-hmm. so the the thing about Boba Fett that I've I've asked like my uh, my former manager at work, I asked him about it because he's he's a little older, so he kind of he remembers seeing Star Wars like like as a kid, and yeah. his rationale for the fandom for Boba Fett is that. There was such there was a such a delay between Empire and Return that mm-hmm. people saw like oh there's this badass with a jetpack and a phaser or a gun or what a phaser uh-huh. um a, <laughs> uh it, just this really badass bounty hunter and then in Return of the Jedi George Lucas is just like 
oh, hey, yeah, we're just going to throw him in the Sarlacc pit. And then that's yeah. maybe why he's got that kind of thing where maybe they thought that he was going to be a bigger deal, but he's just not. Yeah. Yeah. But why yeah. isn't he though? Why did they? Why did they do that? I don't understand. Because he is he is like um, an appealing character in terms of. Um, well, you can see from from action figures and everything. He's he's got a big. Oh, he is cooling, and he's cool, yeah. and he's got a jetpack. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. So, I mean, why would George? Lu- <laughs> I don't want to question the choices of George Lucas. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I don't understand the reasoning to do that. I don't know. There's, you know, there's a lot of stories about how uh, George Lucas really was not apt to let people mess with his vision. Okay. You know what I mean? And, and people talk about how he um, he wanted to do it his way, and the movies kind of suffered for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Return of the Jedi kind of suffered anyway. I mean, I know he didn't direct the last two, right? Or, or I guess episode. He didn't. He didn't direct Empire or Jedi, right. but uh, maybe it was his way of saying, you know, the the fans are kind of taking Boba Fett as as theirs, so I'm gonna kill him. Okay, that that makes sense in a really douchey way. <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, He's actually not huh. my favorite bounty hunter. Mine was always oh, really? Bosk. I don't. I don't which, remember which Bosk. It, like in the first scene you see um, Boba Fett. Darth Vader's kind of walking around, and he's talking to this group of bounty hunters, including right. uh, Boba Fett and IG-88 and Bosk. And uh, he's talking about capturing Han Solo mm-hmm. um, or, uh, or capturing uh, Luke, just capturing all of them. He just wants them all. Right, right. And, and uh, so Bosk is there. He's kind of a dinosaur-looking guy. Okay, I vaguely remember him. Yeah. He was always my favorite just because I liked um, dinosaurs. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So you you mentioned earlier that uh, you don't understand the the religion behind it. I I don't, and I I've always accredited that to me coming to the series late. Yes. Um, which I'm surprised that you don't understand it. I I mean I I guess I can understand the fandom because I'm like like I love I love the things that I love and I love them devotedly. Mm-hmm. Um. Like as like, like I would take a bullet for a DVD of Lost. Like that's yeah, what that's yeah. like. I have that kind of affection for the things that I'm into, so I can understand like the degree to which that they're that people are into Star Wars and everything. I just think of it as 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 the art that it's representing and mm-hmm. what they're being fan fans of. It seems a little shaky because it seems like everyone's like, oh, like the the age old question is, or maybe not age old question, but everyone says, everyone says Empire is better than A New Hope, and they're both so great. And then everyone's like, uh, oh, Jedi is a little bad, and we're not going to talk about those prequels. And mm-hmm. there's that holiday special. Oh, I don't know about that. So mm-hmm. it's basically like, so far it's six movies. With more to come, hopefully they're good. But yeah. six movies where two of them are like the the pristine movies that they're that they're champion champion yeah. championing wow sure. <laughs> so i just I just don't understand that i mean I mean with the things that I'm into like again, sorry to bring up lost, I loved okay. every season of lost, yeah, but then again that's that's also well, but subjective. It is subjective, and there's a lot of people who don't love every season of Lost. Oh, a lot of people hate a lot of seasons of Lost. Yeah, you know? But, um, and yeah. then on the other hand, there are people 
who who love all of the Star Wars movies. The, sure. We kind of have to take away the uh, the prequels, like mm-hmm. because it, it's still huge now, but. Star Wars was a religion before the prequels. That's true. It, so let's kind of take if if you don't mind, let's kind of take those out of the yeah, conversation. Um, but that said, the original Star Wars trilogy had more time uh, to kind of sit in the public consciousness right. in comparison to Lost. So um, f- while they had just initial adoration for the entire thing, they've really just had time to break it down. I think when Jedi first came out, I don't know that they were. All, I mean, it was it was received quite well still, and I think people mm-hmm. were just happy to see the end of it. Some people were put off by the Ewoks. It, it was right. a little strange, but uh, I think people still loved it even then. And it, and it wasn't till you know years of scrutiny that that people started to deconstruct Jedi and and okay. name their favorites. Um, yeah, I can see. You that. know, I've I've read more books and articles than I can count about why Star Wars is so popular. One of my favorites oh, wow. was. Uh, my best friend is a Wookiee. I remember you recommending that to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Still haven't gotten around to that, but I'll get <laughs> That's to okay. It's really good. And uh, I love how it kind of tells the story of like why he's a fan. And like me, he's, he's maybe one or two years older than I am. So he wasn't born uh, when any of those movies came out. And it, to be honest, he, he almost talks about how it's hard to explain why Star Wars is what it is, but more than anything, it it you if you find it at a certain age, it's like the perfect coming of age tale for someone who might also be coming of age. You know what I mean? That makes that actually makes a lot of sense with with Luke kind of finding his place in the in the the mm-hmm. rebels and all that stuff. Yeah, I can understand that and finding it, becoming the Jedi and all that. I can see that as a coming of age tale. And I don't know, like I mentioned that I came to it late, which. I mean, the first time I saw Star Wars, the first opportunity I had to see Star Wars, I was like maybe eight or nine, mm-hmm. and that wasn't—I don't think I was old enough, or I didn't really appreciate it at that mm-hmm. at that point. Um, and then the first time I actually really sat down and watched it, I watched it as like a junior high kid who's all like, "I'm going to be into movies, and Star Wars yeah. is really good, so I'm going to watch watch these movies." Sure. And it was like. I, I was I was just watching them. It was like just a crappy little VHS copy that I got from the library that I put into a little tiny TV, and it was just like I didn't get the. It just didn't hook me because of. I don't want to. I don't want to put it all toward the toward the circumstances that I watched it. But mm-hmm. I wasn't watching it to watch Star Wars. I was watching it to watch a movie that people loved, and I think that that skewed it. Okay, um, that's interesting. That's an interesting perspective. Yeah. Uh, by the way, my best friend is a Wookiee. He was written by Tony Pasidi. Nice. Okay. I just want to put that out there. Um, I found Star Wars, uh, I think, also at a pretty – I mean, I want to say – you said, what, you were 9 or 10? Uh, yeah, about that age. So, like, mid-90s. But was did you see it before the re-releases? Um, you know, I can't really remember the circumstances. Well – in the in the mid nineties, I watched it when I lived in Ohio. Our neighbor was babysitting us, mm-hmm. and he was a Star Wars just fanatic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Doctor Anderson, if he's listening, um, hi Doctor Anderson. Doctor Anderson uh, in Ohio, but um, he he had like he had just a, like a big screen TV, like the state of the art thing, state of the art technology. And so we watched it, and like the first thing I, well, I, the first thing I thought was, why are we starting on part four? 
<laughs> yeah. So and that kind of just which of course wasn't added until the laserdisc version. Right. It may have been actually the laserdisc that we were watching now that I think about oh, it. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um but yeah, it was just I was just like, "All right, uh, we're at part 4." And then I'm like, well, "How did they get on this ship? How did mm-hmm. how did the droids get on this ship?" Mm-hmm. But in uh in Simon Pegg's book, N- Nerd Do Well, which I like mm-hmm. to call Nerd Do Well, <laughs> nice. Uh, he ha- it, it's an okay book, but he has a chapter about Star Wars and the cultural impact of Star Wars. Okay, uh, which was was by far my most favorite part of the book. Nice, and uh, and he talks about just kind of the impact on it. Uh, imagine seeing it as a kid, as a, as a twelve year old in nineteen seventy seven. Oh, it would have absolutely blown your mind. Oh yeah. But more than that, uh, what he likes about it, he kind of he kind of talks about like the the political aspect of it, and uh, and kind of how it 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 was like in the heat of the cold in the middle of the Cold War, um, but it kind of took a neutral stance on politics. Huh. And I know that kind of makes people say, "Wait a second, what?" Uh, <laughs> but the the people in order were the empire and then it was of course the people going against them which was not what was happening in america so it was almost like a way of trying to understand what was going on in the soviet union russia um state side okay did you know what i mean he he said it he said it a lot better than i did i'm not a politician but uh it it just kind of hit it hit the country at at a perfect time Wow, saying so, that, I would assume that that's just a cultural w- way that they perceived it and everything, and not Lord Lucas didn't intend it that way, did he? No, I don't think so. I didn't think so. Huh? Mm-hmm. That's well, that's interesting, and I can, I can understand understand how that the climate of of the late seventies could uh, could really add to the fire of, of of Star Wars. Plus, I mean, technologically speaking, or it's not it, it's jaw dropping in when put into the perspective of 1970s films mm-hmm. um just the special effects and all that are really well done mm-hmm. so but i just i maybe if i could time travel or if i could <laughs> do that I, I would do that but then like for your bachelor party when we saw when we watched all three and the big screen and everything i had a blast i thought that yeah. was fantastic that was the oh yeah that was the best the best setting to watch it and granted it was with a bunch of people and, and with a bunch of friends and, um, who and are also star it. Wars nerds. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I kind of, it built up on that, but I don't know. It was just, it was, it was a lot more fun. And I think the problem with it was, is that I'm, I'm, I, I love space. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of my thing. And I, yeah. and I wish I said that earlier. Yeah, I like I love space movies and I've in I haven't really connected with Star Wars but in the in the in the interim between trying to connect to Star Wars and uh or the interim between not not liking Star Wars and trying to connect to it, I've built up this thing with with a bunch of space movies. I mean, 2001: A Space Odyssey is one of my favorite movies and that's a very realistic and practical kind of yeah. vision of the future and Absolutely. Yeah, and like um I mean, like I, I've, in, uh, like more recently, I've I've gotten into like Alien and and um, uh, like the Star Trek movies and Danny Boyle's Sunshine. So I have all of these movies that are kind of both contemporary and also from from the seventies that are 
that are just depictions of space in a way that I love seeing it. So I have built into my head this way of this is what a space movie for me is going to be like that I'm going to love. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I go to see Star Wars, it's it's a fantasy adventure movie set in space. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not so much fantasy, but you know what I mean. Well, yeah. fantasy. But so that that's kind of how I maybe maybe when I went maybe when I approached Star Wars, I was like, okay, well, this is like the best space movie ever. I know, which, and you know what? I struggle I struggle with that because yeah. um, I I talked to some of my friends who really are into the Lord of the Rings franchise. Okay. And I always tell them, well, I'm not really into fantasy all that much. But kind of like you said, Star Wars is essentially a fantasy movie just set in space. Yeah. And I always like to point out it has magic. It has a wizard. It has a pirate. It has a princess. (laughs) You know what I mean? It has all those elements of fantasy. So it kind of is. Um, But I don't know. Yeah. You know, it. I, I wonder if that fantasy aspect, along with the humor of it, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, listeners correct me if I'm wrong too, um, Star Wars Episode 4, which unfortunately we have to call it, Star <laughs> Wars kind of was the first chance for um, nerds to not be put in such a small little box. You know what I mean? It, yeah. Star Wars was kind of the first nerdy thing that made nerdy things acceptable to the general public. That sounds about right. Star Wars was a box office smash. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and before that, being a nerd was was uh, a scary thing. You know what I mean? Oh, you yeah. liked very specific things that the 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 rest of the public consciousness was not aware of or or frowned upon. Yeah, very niche. Very. Totally. So, especially with teenagers. I mean, teenagers. I mean, there's the stereo, like, <laughs> there's a stereotype of of nerds being this this very very clear depiction of nerds back like back in the day, not so mm-hmm. much now. Like, I mean, look at the caricatures of the nerds in in The Big Bang Theory. That's right. pretty much the stereotype that's been nerds for m- many decades. Right. And uh, Star Wars was the first time that it kind of became mainstream and i mean we're a little oversaturated with nerd culture now yeah and that's kind of what i'm referring to is just how we we talk about how cool it is to be a nerd today and that's totally a topic of discussion for another podcast episode but uh i kind of have to point to star wars as the first one yeah because i off the top of my head i can't really think of anything else that uh that that really broke the broke the cultural barrier or whatever in mm-hmm. a mainstream way mm-hmm. um yeah so yeah that that is that is also another it's a it's a good point it's it's a good point for its for its legacy um, so your thesis is <laughs> you just don't love star wars because you it hit you at the wrong time yeah i it's just a it's just a an issue of just the the right thing but at the wrong time Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it just, it doesn't resonate with me the way that it resonates with other people. It resonates with me as a movie that is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. at least the first two. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, it's, I mean, honestly, like at your bachelor party, um, seeing empire on the big screen was the first time I thought, yeah, that's better than a new hope. <laughs> um, which is you know i to be honest with you i go back and forth oh yeah i know yeah you you've mentioned that before um, i go back and forth all the time yeah when i was when i was 
Uh, younger, it was always Jedi. I thought Jedi was the best. And, and I think mostly just as a little kid, it was because I liked the green lightsaber. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say Ewoks. Which, as far as I knew, the green lightsaber was the only one you could buy. So I thought it was cool that I had the same lightsaber as Luke Skywalker. I see. Um, well, you could also buy the Darth Vader's red one. But I mean, of right. Luke's. Anyway, um... And then, and then I, you know, kind of went with the public who said that Empire is the superior movie. Mm-hmm. But just kind of recently, maybe in the last three or four years, uh, I've done a couple of like watching of the trilogy. Yeah. And I'll tell you, that first movie is is pretty unbelievable. It's really incredible. It's the the script is just really great. I mean, it's it's really yeah. it's a tight. I don't know how else to describe it other other than it being just a really well put together script. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Empire is good, but it's it's bigger. And people make mm-hmm. the argument they say that it's oh it's uh it's darker than the first. Which yeah, it's darker, but it's also it's also that kind of not kid friendly, but it's kind of that kind of that it's not as dark as I would want it to be. Because when I came to it, when I, when I really really embraced it or tried to embrace it, I mean by that point I was like a teenager. Yeah. Um so I'm like, oh, okay, I want this like really like like really dark stuff. Gritty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really gritty and stuff. Not. And it's not that. So everyone's like, Oh, it's darker than the first one. I was like, uh <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. It so, is darker than the first one. Though. It is, yeah, in in tone, but it's not I mean it's not really that uh it like when I when I hear it's something being darker than it, it just makes me think of like like gritty stuff, like like the Dark Knight trilogy compared to the Joel Shoemaker, exactly. Batman movies, yeah, yeah. Um, for me, I, I guess my thesis is I can't explain what's so great about it, but you know, millions of people can't be wrong, right? Yes, they can. They totally can. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, it it totally in the same way it didn't for you. It hit me. It really like I can port. I can point to really important times in my life that Star Wars was just kind of there. Uh, when I moved from the city to the suburbs, mm-hmm. I was, I, that's when I discovered Star Wars. I was probably uh, seven or eight years old, um, and a friend of mine sh- showed me Star Wars, and that was kind of our thing. Uh, and then I got really into it with the re-releases. And then I moved to Indiana, and, it, and, in, and I had some friends who also liked it, and so that was cool. And then uh, later on when when the prequels started coming out, I, w- I was able to flaunt that interest again. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it just came to me at important times. Okay. Um, a quick thing. Uh, sure. Shortly. Hopefully we, we will have to sum it up here too. Cause I got a good goal. Okay. Um, I just do, I do have a quick memory of that. Uh, I was at Kings Island, like when I was in like eighth grade or something, or, or maybe not eighth grade, but it was like probably seventh grade. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine and he had just seen, um, uh, uh, Phantom Menace, mm-hmm. and he was telling me all about it. And this may have been—I don't mm-hmm. know when it was. It may have been sixth grade. But anyway, he—yeah, he we were in sixth grade when Phantom Menace came out. Okay, so you just seen it. And he basically told me the entire plot. Yeah, and he made it sound so awesome. <laughs> and then they take these pod racers. <laughs> yeah. You know the thing that There's got me three lightsaber <laughs> fights, dude. Your mind is going to be blown. Yeah. But the thing that got me about his his analysis of it was he was like then the then the guy who is uh the the guy's um 
the master, he's talking about Qui Gon and, and Obi Wan. He's like uh-huh. the guy's ma- master dies, and then the apprentice has to pick up, has to has to defeat him on his own. I was like, that's such a cool like scenario. And when I saw it, that is a very cool lightsaber battle. Yeah. Um. So and and that kind of goes back to even at sixth grade, I was kind of looking at kind of grittier kind of things. Yeah. Um. Hell, I was in the I was in the screen when I was in like fifth grade. <laughs> that's a little creepy it's a little creepy um, uh, there's a video speaking of Star Wars episode 1 there's a video uh, online called what if Star Wars episode 1 was good I would recommend <laughs> people check that out nice but, uh, but I gotta get going alright cool thanks for good talk know. Russ yeah <laughs> nice yeah thanks for jumping on here and talking to me yeah no problem this was fun yeah. Matt may the force be with you uh to infinity and beyond <laughs> You you say, and also with you. Oh, and also with you. (laughs) All right, man. All right, talk to you later. Hey, what's going on, everybody? My name is Jason, and I'm the host of the Going On podcast. It's an interview-style podcast brought to you all the way from Australia. I believe everybody has an interesting story to tell, and I'm here to ask the questions and listen to that story. Recently, I've had a scientist on, a tattooist, a TV producer, and also a professional photographer, just to name a couple. Why not come and have a listen at dwarfmedia.com? That's D-A-W-F media.com. You'll listen to all the podcasts there. You can find me on Instagram. My username is the Dwarf, one word. Or you can also find me on Facebook under Jason Dwarf, where we're kept up to date with all the goings-on. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, Just search Going On Podcast and you'll find it right there. So I hope you come check us out. See you soon, freaks. Yeah, so, yeah, that that about, well, you know what? I got one more clip I can play, actually. This is a good one. This is a really good one. I saved this one for last, for for a reason. Um, No, it's from October, I think. No, February 17th. Uh, Me and Tiny... We're listening. We're, we watched the trailer for the Zero Theorem, uh, Terry Gilliam's latest movie, and we just basically had like a little discussion about sci-fi and what the trailer looked like, and a little bit of Twelve Monkeys stuff like that. So it will be interesting, I guess. I say interesting a lot, you guys. I'm in my head, yeah, and I'm in your ears. I shouldn't have said that. That's stupid. I might cut that out. So, okay, here is my sci-fi discussion with Tiny. <clears throat> okay. You want to start recording? Yeah, I've, I've actually been recording for about a minute and a half. Um, nice. I should have recorded your audio of the thing so, so I could have clips of it. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll redo that later. Um, cool. Yeah. We're still, we're still got tomorrow. There's always tomorrow. Mike, don't you let go. We just go right into it. Don't don't like introduce it or anything. Just go right into the discussion. Right, right. Um, so, Tiny, you just finished watching the Zero Theorem trailer for the first time. I did. Um, it looks so much like Brazil. Really? See, <laughs> yeah, and like the plot and everything. Like, yeah. like, like it, they showed uh, Christoph Waltz doing his thing, and then I was mm-hmm. like, okay, seems kind of like uh, like uh, Jonathan Price from uh, from Brazil. This is interesting. And then they show the girl, and like I was like, okay, well, there's a girl kind of like in Brazil. <laughs> And then she's like, and I think we're connected. I was like, that's Brazil. Really? See, <laughs> uh, which I love Brazil. It's yeah. Like I've, I've never seen Brazil. Um, I haven't seen very much Terry Gilliam except for 12 monkeys and, uh, the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Mm-hmm. 
and it's I've kind of not having seen Brazil uh, watching this trailer makes me think uh, I'm kind of eager to see it because usually I'm kind of not necessarily put off by his style but it's kind of this weird kind of futuristic kind of kind of old style futuristic kind of thing it's kind of dirty and grimy and it is it's his style is so unique that it can actually be off-putting to a lot of people yeah yeah but having seen this trailer i mean it looks kind it looks interesting and it 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 makes me kind of kind of curious to go back and check out like brazil and stuff because i mean that that kind of aesthetic it's never really appealed to me but now i and now it kind of is if that makes any sense whatsoever um maybe it's yeah, just I understand. Yeah, maybe it's just maybe it's just where I am now and it's uh I love seeing uh, or I felt like like I said I I love 12 Monkeys. 12 Monkeys is an awesome movie. It's one of my favorite time travel movies. Mm-hmm. Um and it's also to my understanding Terry Gilliam's like most normal movie. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's kind of interesting in 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 the fact that that, that I like that movie a lot. And seeing Christoph Waltz in, like you, you connected the trailer to Brazil heavily, and mm-hmm. I connected that scene where Christoph Waltz is kind of he's being there are three those three people behind the desk talking to him while he's kind of laying in the in the in the thing, and he says something I can't remember what it is, but it's uh, he's laying there and it's kind of he's on display of these three people behind this desk and it kind of reminded me a lot of 12 monkeys oh yeah um, totally so it was kind of interesting to see that and make that connection mm-hmm. and uh, I'm kind of curious what it is and it also yeah I, I don't know what so are you excited about it or I am I, uh, I I remember seeing the trailer or seeing the stuff for it on IMDB but I just like on IMDb, it was like a clip, and I was like, I don't want to watch a clip. That's right. not. That's not a good. I don't, I don't like that idea. Um, yeah. And so I just kind of just put off watching the trailer. I don't know why, um, but it looks cool. I mean, I said, like I said, it looks a lot like Brazil, but Brazil was awesome. It's a good movie. Um, yeah. Uh, and yet, like I've I haven't seen a whole ton of Terry Gilliam either. Like uh, Brazil, Twelve Monkeys, and Doctor Parnassus. Those are the I think the only movies of his that I've actually seen. Oh, um, really? He hasn't done a lot, really. He really I hasn't. Mean, at least, at least, not a lot of big mainstream stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's great. He, he, you have to be in the right mood to watch Terry Gilliam movie. <laughs> Absolutely. He's he's very moody, very unique. Yeah. But I think I think really talented. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm looking at his IMDb now. Oh, you saw the Brothers Grimm, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Yeah. He directed Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I've seen that too. Yeah. And then, of course, the Monty Python stuff. But yeah, it's it's he's got kind of a unique style, and it's it's something that I don't. You know, with someone who has such a unique style, and someone who has such a like he almost has like a trademark on that kind of style and it's when directors usually have that kind of their own like visual cues you kind of see other directors kind of try to emulate them and -hmm. i don't know that i've ever seen anyone try to emulate gilliam maybe it's because he can't be emulated yeah i i agree because he's i don't think you can really he's kind of in his own box 
Yeah. <laughs> in a way. Yeah, and you're right when you said 12 Monkeys is his most normal movie. Right. And and it's still pretty weird. It really is. I mean, Brad Pitt's performance alone. I mean, Yeah. It's I mean, it's a fantastic performance, but Yeah. It's it's, yeah. it's also pretty out there. Um Yeah, so it's it's interesting and it's kind of funny that we have this cuz from what I can what I can glean from from the trailer is that it's kind of about I assume that it's a quest to discover the nature of man or the history of or, or, or something. I, I don't know exactly how to phrase it. Um, An- answer some of the deepest questions of mankind's existence. Exactly. So it's going to be a fun, hilarious movie. <laughs> um, it's lighthearted. You yeah. know. Just It'll, sit back. Yeah. <laughs> It'll basically, it basically be like super bad, but with uh, Christoph Waltz. Um <laughs> Oh man, that'd be hilarious. That would be actually that would be <laughs> phenomenal. Um, yeah. But the actual oh sorry. Uh I was going to say the plot outline is a computer hacker's goal to discover the reason for human existence continually finds his work interrupted thanks to the management. Uh this time they send a teenager and lusty love interest to distract him. Hmm. So it sounds like it has obviously some big themes and everything. Um Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, I had go ahead. I hadn't seen the uh, the woman before that's in it. Melanie Thierry was that her name? Yeah, something like that. I never seen her either. No, I have no idea who that is. I don't know. She's huh. the, the, her name and her accent sounded a little French. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe she's a famous French actress, but uh, maybe interesting. Yeah, yeah. It it looks interesting, and it's it's kind of a big indicator of where we are. Oh, maybe maybe I'm speaking too much of it because it actually already has an IMDb rating of six point nine, so maybe it could very well not be that great. But mm. it's uh, oh, I wanted to say that too. But um, it's interesting that it has uh, kind of kind of this 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 way about it. This kind of indication, a big indicator of how we are the state of cinema now is that they we're kind of going toward more of these kind of sci-fi kind of weird abstract movies. I mean, we have like transcendence coming out, um, mm-hmm. relatively soon. And then, um, I'm sure Nolan's going to, uh, going to face some of these kind of big, uh, big philosophical questions in interstellar. Um, even to a lesser extent, just in sci-fi in general, I mean, gravity's nominated for an Academy award. Yeah. For for best picture, so it's kind of, it's interesting to see these kind of kind of science fiction kind of abstract kind of movies like that, um, getting more play and being more prominent in in the grand scheme of cinema. Yeah, that is nice. I think it maybe it has something to do with the fact that sci-fi is kind of. I don't want to say it's limited, but it's not limitless either. I mean, they're so. It's it's just like I feel like there's so much sci-fi that's been made already that's very derivative, yeah. And it's it's just like you're kind of seeing the same story over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's maybe why they're looking for stuff that's so unique like this. Um, that's you know poses bigger questions and makes you think. I think sci-fi that makes you think has become almost its own genre. Yeah. Um, as opposed to just like, oh, look, they have spaceships and stuff blows up. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. And it's kind of I can kind of see how they're kind of taking um, more risks, too, with this kind of stuff um, in, in that manner. Um, 
it's it's really it's really neat to see. It's it's really cool to see this these kind of things happen. Um mm-hmm. and these kind of projects getting uh like big. And granted a lot of them are kind of like I said they're pretty much all Maybe maybe I should revise my statement and say that it's interesting to see the bigger names handling this kind of thing. I mean, granted, Terry Gilliam's already done stuff like this in the past, but I mean, Nolan's this is Nolan's first well space movie at least, uh, Interstellar is, and then Wally Pfister. This is his directorial debut with Transcendence, but it's also it's a big movie for him to do. It's like it's not like he's he's starting small and growing out. It's it's he's he's really going for it. Um, yeah. And of course, Alfonso Cuaron for Gravity. He kind of, you know, uh, that was a, that was a big movie for him too. So it's it's really interesting to see just how how audiences and how filmmakers are responding to sci-fi. And I agree that it is kind of a big thing for actor or for directors to uh, or, or for filmmakers to basically make sci-fi and make it derivative of everything else. I mean. You look at the grand scheme of sci-fi. It or, wow. Of <laughs> if you look at kind of the big picture of sci-fi, it's it's all been like like you said, it's all been very derivative. And even even the Zero Theorem is kind of like you said, it's it reminds you a lot of Brazil. Mm-hmm. But it's also interesting to see them evolve past. In like not really not to. Um, not to shift to space movies or anything, but it's interesting to see them evolve past, Hey, we're going to this place and we're going to find this and we're finding a signal and we're going to come back and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's interesting to see that kind of thing. Like one of my favorite sci-fi movies is, uh, um, sunshine by Danny Boyle. I've mentioned it several times. Yeah. And there's no mistaking that it is deeply, deeply indebted to alien and, and several other sci-fi movies. Um, mm-hmm. to the point where it's actually, to a, to a certain extent, it's derivative of Alien because I mean they're they're crew on a ship. They find a signal. They find they go to the signal. Hell breaks loose. It's the same mm-hmm. framework, but the difference is that it makes these. The difference is that it it's it's a different movie, obviously, but it makes these statements about what they're doing, and I feel like that that's the big difference between sci-fi and uh, sci-fi of today and sci-fi of yesteryear right and it's taken much more seriously now you know i think it used to be treated like oh just only nerds watch sci-fi stuff you know right um they associated all sci-fi with star trek you know it's just like it can be it can be so much it can be such a deeper genre there it can can have so much more to it um you can you can use it as a palette to tell really deep stories so right i think i think it's 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 overcome that that stigma, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And it's, uh, it's an interesting, it's, it's just, it's interesting to me. I've said interesting like 7 million times. Yeah, I think it's probably closer to 10,000 million. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> which would probably be like 10 billion, um, to be fair. Yeah. Right. But anyway, um, it's funny you mentioned that about sci-fi being, um, associated with nerds and everything. Cause that's, that's a, that's uh, something that we touched on when Mike and I talked about star Wars. Um, how do you feel that it's, oh, let me scratch that. Um, another thing is it's funny that it's sci-fi has had a very, very long and fruitful history in, in, uh, novel and, uh, in, in, uh, um, literature. 
mm-hmm. and it's it's a niche genre, of course, across the board. Um, but it's interesting to see it's it's. but it's cool to see films almost adopting not adopting but almost becoming like their their literature counterparts in terms of sci-fi to a to a smaller extent obviously but they're taken more seriously by the fans of that it's like people are cultivating their own fandoms for that instead of saying Instead of Hollywood shoving something down our throats, like, okay, this is a sci-fi movie. They're going to this place and they're fighting things. Okay, sci-fi. Instead, it's like, hey, here's sci-fi. Let's leave the theater thinking about who we are as a species. Right. Um, oh, de- definitely. Yeah, so it's it's cool to see them, to see sci-fi on film taking its place uh, the same way sci-fi on on the page has, right? Yeah, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, does, is there anything else you want to discuss or anything? Uh, no. Kind of looking forward to it though. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, I don't know when the release date is. Oh, I also want to mention that it's cool to see. Uh, uh, what's his name? Um, David Thewlis in something that's not uh, um, Harry Potter. Although I'm looking at his. Looking at his IMDb now, he's in a ton of stuff. Yeah, he's been in so much stuff, but I, I've always been a huge fan of his. He's awesome. Yeah, but I, I don't know. It seems like he doesn't get huge, huge parts anymore. Like you see, I don't know. He's kind of hard to, hard to, to get a line on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it looks like judging from the trailer for the Zero Theorem, it looks like he has a pretty prominent role in it to an extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. How was he in um, the Fifth Estate? Uh, he was fine. It was kind of a, it was a character role, just okay. st- standard character acting for him because he's he could be such a great actor. He he sort of gets thrown into the character actor category, but yeah, I think he's capable of so much more. Like if you watch a movie like Gangster Number One, mm-hmm. he's kind of the unofficial main character of the story. Like he he's kind of the lead of the story. Okay, and he goes through a huge transformation in that movie. Um, and it's it's awesome. I love that movie. He's great in it, and I would have thought something like that would have, you know, kind of launched him a little bit better, and he would have been <laughs> right. more more of a more of a leading man, or at least like a supporting kind of actor. But he's yeah. just you really you just kind of see him in, in character acting stuff. Yeah, so. huh. I don't even. I need to watch The Big Lebowski again because I don't even remember him in it. Oh, uh, he's he's only in it for like I don't he may he might have five minutes of screen time in it. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Did you did we see the new world together? No. Okay. Is that the? I'm thinking the, of Apocalypto. Sorry. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. The, the new, new world. world. The new world is the the John Smith story, but it's yeah. super super boring. <laughs> Two hours fifteen minutes of Colin Farrell banging pocahontas i guess yeah <laughs> um oh it's terrence malick what a surprise yeah that's right i was gonna say i thought it was terrence malick <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which i mean that's not fair i haven't seen many terrence maybe any terrence malick movies but all i know about him is that he's very long and very boring i've seen enough of him i'm not a fan um <laughs> i i don't take anything away from him though i think he's okay. really a really skilled filmmaker, mm-hmm. uh, but he, I, I just, there's just something about it. It's just, he just drags everything out 
everything is so super disjointed and like it's it, like things are should connect to each other but they don't mm-hmm. it's so weird i i'm just not a fan it's it's too yeah. uh interpretive it's, it's yeah it's too it's too interpretive it's too metaphysical for me it's okay. it's metaphysical in a in an unfulfilling way okay i don't i don't care for, like when i was watching the tree of life and like all of a sudden we're looking at dinosaurs and shit, i was like what what we were talking it was there was a family in the 50s who was being raised brad Jeez. pitt was bringing up two kids in the 1950s and all of a sudden we're looking at dinosaurs what <laughs> i just i wasn't a fan wow i've i haven't seen tree of life yet for that exact reason um yeah. i i need to maybe once i get through all these oscar nominees i'll, I'll check it out just mm-hmm. just out of point of thing but the final thing i want to bring up um just real quick is you saw the movie anonymous david thewlis was in that also um this mm-hmm. was probably like two three years ago for you but out of curiosity because i mean it's directed by roland emmerich and given our private conversations about william shakespeare last night um <laughs> it just made me think like how, how is that movie? Is it? Cause I remember hearing, um, what episode, what, what podcast was, it? I think Michael Chiklis was, he was on, he was on some podcast. It may have actually been nerdist. Maybe I don't, I don't know, know if he ever did nerdist, but anyway, he was on a podcast where I was hearing him talk about how he was fascinated by the idea that the theory that William Shakespeare didn't write William Shakespeare's plays. It was actually someone else, um, uh, someone else and there's evidence for it and he's read books about it and he was trying so hard to get the rights for, uh, for one of the books that he read so that he could create, that he could produce a movie out of it and all that stuff. And the way he talked about it was just absolutely fascinating. And then Roland Emmerich made it. So <laughs> how's that movie? Because I know that the guy who made 10,000 BC and 2012 and <laughs> the day after tomorrow, I'm, yeah. I assume that he didn't really take uh, maybe it's a maybe it's an unfair assumption on my part but my interpretation of him directing it is that the only thing I can think is that after he directed that he directed um White House Down so <laughs> Uh, you are not wrong in your assumption it <laughs> would have been so much better in the hands of another filmmaker okay um it it's a decent movie I mean like mm-hmm. I said it's it's a decent movie, but it's only decent because the story is so fantastic. Yeah, um, it's such a it's such a create it's such a creative and an unknown story that it's that it carries the whole movie essentially. But okay. it only carries it into decency. It doesn't carry it into being good. Um, in the hands of another director, it would have been a much better film. But I think it was it, it would have been a better film if it had like. If it was more of an indie movie, you know, if okay. it had been like a, a pet project of a filmmaker, yeah, it would have been so much better. But it just had it had studio overproduced hands all over it. I oh. think, um, and it, it was it was to its own detriment. So that's a shame. Um, it's worth a watch though, and, and the performances are decent. Um, nice. I've I've always been a a Risa fans fan. Mm-hmm. I think he's good. He's again, I think he should be in more things. Right. Um, I was really excited when he got cast as the, the lizard guy and, and, uh, and right. the amazing Spider-Man. Um, it was an interesting, that was an interesting choice for him, but, uh, cool. yeah, I, I'd like to see him in more stuff. Um, definitely check out the movie though. Cause it's, like I said, it's, it's an interesting story. Cool. Yeah. I'll have to, 
I'll check that out at some point. Because, um, like I said, I'm I'm kind of interested in just the just the concept of it. I mean, I want to read more about Shakespeare and all that, uh, uh, like the kind of that controversy thing or um, theory, I guess. Uh, yeah. So yeah. So yeah, that's uh, that's pretty cool. Um, I guess that about does it. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, yeah, we went off on a Shakespeare tangent. Yeah, it was nice. It was thou art was quite nice. Yonder window breaks. Now um, make these teenagers bang each other. Yes. Speaking of books, <laughs> you can check out obsessivebooknerd.com. dot com. Yay! Yay! Plug. Shameless plug. Yes. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Uh, not that I just completely destroyed on any authority of literature by that butchering. But, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, well, this was fun. Um, Good deal. Yeah. All right. Talk to you later. See ya. Okay. So thank you for listening to this B-roll episode of the Obsessive Viewer podcast. Um, I hope you had fun. I had fun here by myself in my studio. I blame Mike and Tiny for not being here. Um, I guess no, there was a reason. This was an executive decision on my part, guys. Don't blame them. Although you should tweet them and tell them that they're jerks. Tell Mike that he's a jerk for buying a house. Not really. All right. So, as always, thank you for listening to the Obsessive Viewer Podcast. And thank you to Star Tissue for providing our awesome opening theme music. You can find more of their music at soundcloud.com slash startissue. Make sure to rate and review us on iTunes and vote for us for Podcast of the Month on podcastland.com. It takes no real effort, and it helps us out a lot, and it lets us know that you enjoy listening to us. Um, also, like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer. And follow each of us on Twitter. You can find me, Matt, at obsessiveviewer. Tiny is at obsessivetiny. And Mike is at I am Mike White. Um, you can also check out the blog at obsessiveviewer.com. I actually just recently finished up a franchise review of the Planet of the Apes franchise. Um, which was just a f- lot of fun to go through and watch all those movies. Some of them are kind of not that great, but if you haven't seen Dawn of the Planet of the Apes yet, my God, that movie was amazing. I loved it so much. Um, it I can't really get it out of my head. There was just so much to it that, and it didn't sacrifice the pacing or anything like that. It was a very well put together movie, and the, just the cinematography, uh, like the lighting in in the in the big battle scenes, were just just like those little components kind of came together and and created something just really really great. Um, and also, I mean, Andy Serkis, man, and all the CGI and all the mocap stuff is just astounding. So definitely check that out and check out my reviews on the, on the website. Um, not to mention you'll find plenty of movie reviews and industry commentary and stuff like that on obsessiveviewer.com. So yeah. Also, if you are if you are into books, uh, check out obsessivebooknerd.com. It's our it's our sister website the for book reviews and commentary on the evolving world of reading. Um, and then also check out Tiny's side project, The Secular Perspective, at thesecularperspective.com. It's a podcast exploring secularism and religious-related topics uh, and how the how the two intertwine in, in society and stuff like that. It's really fun. Um, we've got some cool stuff planned for that 
or at least Tiny does. I think I think he and I are gonna uh, take a trip to the Creation Museum and podcast about that, which should be pretty interesting. Um, finally, if you have any thoughts on the podcast or suggestions for future topics, or if you want to propose to any of us anything like that, you can email us at our names at obsessiveviewer.com. So if you want to talk to me, it's Matt at obsessiveviewer.com. Tiny is tiny at obsessiveviewer.com. And Mike is Mike at obsessiveviewer.com. I think that about does it. Um, how are you? Doing good? That's good. Um, yeah, so I hope you enjoyed the B-roll episode. And I hope you have a wonderful day or night or post-apocalyptic life whenever whenever you're listening to this i don't i don't know um yeah all right thank you thanks for listening uh was a jerk and decided to buy a house with his wife <laughs> uh and so what he's doing is he he's you know in in the in in wow this is hard um <laughs>